This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're back in Norse mythology. We'll see that Odin is just dying to know more about Ragnarok. And if you're having a hard time meeting new friends, maybe try picking a fight with some angry giants five times your size. Can't really see what can go wrong there. If you've ever pondered, hey, I wonder what would happen if an ant and a lion got together and had a baby, because that's a reasonable thought normal people have, this week's creature will finally answer that burning question. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 79, The War to Begin All Wars. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Somehow, we're back in Norse mythology. Not that I'm complaining. I just realized that, even though these aren't long stories in mythology, there are still more Norse stories to tell, like the vast war of the gods between the Aesir and Vanir, how Odin secured knowledge of the runes, and how Freya, actually a Vanir, and only an honorary Aesir, came to live in Asgard and helped Thor and Loki on their misadventures. By now, our Norse mythology timeline is all out of sorts, so it kind of follows the confusing structure of actual mythology. Basically, today we're at the very beginning of Odin's reign, not long after he wrenched the world from the giants. He's already sacrificed his left eye for knowledge, but Sleipnir, his eight-legged horse, hasn't been conceived yet, Freya doesn't live among the Aesir, and Thor still doesn't have his hammer. We begin not with Odin and Asgard, but with a stooped and diminutive wanderer surviving in the world of the giants. A wanderer hobbled through Jotunheim. A long beard covered his body, and a wide hat concealed his deeply ridged and wrinkled face. The shadows hid the fact that he only had one eye, a fact that the giants would take as an invitation to harass or attack the old man. He knew it was dangerous out there, alone, but he had to make this trip. Luckily, an old, poor traveler presented little threat or opportunity to the giants. Most didn't notice him, but a few that did let him pass on his way without issue. That was not the case with Boggy. The ground of Jotunheim shuddered as Boggy stepped out from the trees on the side of the road. As he did, he grew from the size of the wanderer to that of a true giant. The creature looked down, and the wanderer fell to his knees, showing that he didn't have any weapons. He was completely at the giant's mercy. The giant rolled his eyes. Hi, Odin. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not that incredibly good-looking guy. No, I'm just a non-threatening, weak old man, the wanderer insisted. Oh, yeah? The giant asked. What's your backstory? Hmm? Didn't even think to make one, did you? What's an old man doing hobbling alone through giant land without weapons or provisions? I mean, how'd you even get in here? Look at you. The long beard, the ratty clothes, the one eye. You are the definition of an Odinic wanderer, the giant scoffed. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, the wanderer said, but I'm definitely not the super strong Odin, who's not only beloved by all species that actually matter, but like a really good cook. He could own a restaurant if he wanted to, but yeah, he spends too much time being awesome, ruling the nine worlds. Okay. Guys, Boggy said, looking to his left and right. There, on both sides of the road, two more giants grew from the trees until they filled the sky in front of the wanderer. The old man stood up from his knees with a smirk. Hey, Boggy, 
Boggy rolled his eyes. He knew exactly where this was headed. You were right about one thing, the Wanderer announced loudly, with no small degree of panache. He grabbed his cloak from the bottom and whipped it up over his head, and as it came off, it revealed not the shriveled, non-threatening body you'd think would be underneath, but that of the Allfather, Odin, Chief of the Acer. He stood there, spear in hand. I am Odin, he shouted, glistening in all of his glory. For about three seconds, Odin saw the trees shake and fall to his left as the first giant's foot exploded from the forest, knocking him into a nearby tree. Boggy was next, pinning him down with his left hand while flicking Odin's head with his right. Being about five stories tall in all, each flick felt like a punch from a heavyweight. When the giants were convinced that the Allfather was properly subdued, they shrunk down to a smaller yet still imposing eight feet tall to really savor all the little details. giants were tenderizing Odin, another wanderer looked on from the forest. He knew better than to walk out in the open in Jotunheim. Still, this man needed his help. And this was Odin, the chief of the Acer. He had just sacrificed his left eye for the ability to see the future. A friend like that could be priceless. The other stranger emerged from the trees, but still, the giants didn't see him. They didn't see him take the form of Boggy, turn Boggy briefly invisible and then grabbed one of the other giants, punching him in the face and screaming that Odin was his. As the other giant went to aid his friend, he too got an elbow to the nose. The stranger then disappeared and stepped out, letting the real Boggy deal with the consequences. The giants became so busy fighting amongst each other that they didn't see the stranger turning Odin invisible, long enough to drag the battered Allfather from the road and deep into the safety of the woods. Moments later, Odin sat up as the stranger gave him a cloth soaked in water, to clean the blood from his face. Wow. Man, that was a mistake. That went south really quickly. Thank you so much, Odin said. I would have died if you hadn't come to my rescue. They could still feel the earth rocking from the giant's fight not far off. It, it's no problem at all. The stranger replied with a smile and a wink. We travelers need to look out for one another. Don't worry about it. Odin introduced himself. I'm Odin. You know, the all-father of Asgard. Maybe you've heard of me. Nah, no. Not ringing any bells, the stranger feigned. Really? I'm kind of a big deal. I made this sky from a giant skull, the ocean from their blood. You haven't heard about me at all? Odin asked in disbelief. Well, when you say it like that, it does sound kind of familiar, the stranger replied, packing up his things. Well, you know, I can't thank you enough for what you did for me today, the Allfather said to the man who had just saved his life. You're welcome in Asgard anytime you want. And anytime I'm having a feast, you are invited, no matter what. Oh, wow. Thank you. Asgard, you say, that's that's the world at the top of the tree? Well, cool. I'll have to check it out, the stranger said with a grateful smile. I should probably get your name, Odin said. My son, Thor, is kind of the bouncer of Asgard. He really likes to cave in stranger skulls. It's kind of his thing. The stranger smiled. My name? He asked. It's Loki. Loki. Hmm, well, nice to meet you, Loki. I think we're going to be good friends, Odin said before turning and hobbling, legitimately this time, back to Asgard. Loki watched with the widest grin he could muster until the Allfather was out of sight. He waited for a couple more minutes 
before returning to the shaking ground and the yelling giants. Guys, you can stop now, Loki yelled to Boggy and the other two. He bought it. I'm in. I should say that I had to fill in a lot of gaps for a potential origin story for how Loki came to be with the Acer. Snorri Stolson, the writer of the Prose Edda, a book that contains most of what we know about Norse mythology, doesn't devote too much time to Loki's origin. In the Loksana, a poem with an alternate version of the binding of Loki that we'll talk about at the end, we get a couple lines of Odin having sworn an oath to allow him at the Acer feasts, which is why he's always hanging around the Acer, despite not really being an Acer. It also talks about how Loki might have saved Odin's life at some point. I made a story about it, adding the part where Loki is working with the giants, because not only did that really seem like Loki, but Loki always seems to have an in with the giants and other creatures. Tricking his way into Odin's favor and friendship is 100% Loki, especially in light of the destruction he'll bring. Also, the term Odinic Wanderer is a real thing. It was a term coined by J.R.R. Tolkien to actually describe Gandalf. Anyway, I like to let you know when I add to the story beyond motivations or dialogue, so don't cite that origin story on a term paper or anything. The witch, leaning on her staff, hobbled into the village. She was invisible to the Acer, for now. This was her third time, and she knew that the penalty for being caught practicing magic in their lands would be death. At least, she hoped it would. The Acer lived in their little fort at the top of the world tree, looking down upon everyone. Odin, their leader, the self-titled Allfather, even claimed control of the other worlds. It was a claim that had never been challenged. The people of Midgard, the children of Ash and Embra, the creations of Odin, were weak. They had been imbued with the values of their creators. Loyalty, honor, self-sacrifice, luckily for Golvig, the witch, a name that literally meant gold greed, Loyalty, honor, and self-sacrifice weren't nearly as sexy as magic, gold, and the ease of knowing the future. Golvig looked around at the dirty people scratching the dry earth. It wouldn't even take that much to win them over, just a nice rain and bit of food. Gold greed could give them so much more than that, mainly a, a lot of gold, also a little bit of greed. She hobbled to the center of the village, raised her arms, and began chanting. Immediately, the pockets of the villagers began overflowing with gold coins. Chickens multiplied in their coops. The dry dirt swelled with water, and the plants began rising from the ground. People rejoiced and praised this strange woman. They asked if she was with the Acer, but all she could do was shake her head before the thunder cracked. The people scattered as Thor descended from the rainbow bridge that connected the world of the Acer to that of the people below, riding his chariot pulled by two goats because, yes, that was a thing. He didn't stop to address any of the people, filled with awe and terror by his presence, but promptly grabbed the witch from the center of the village and threw her into the chariot. As he did, the new plants withered in the field, the new chickens died, and all the gold overflowing from their pockets turned to dust and blew away. In mere seconds, the people turned from praising the name of the witch to cursing the names of Odin, Thor, and the rest of the Acer for taking away this gift. The witch, gold greed, could only smile as she rode onto Asgard in certain death for a sorcery. Her plan, to finally destroy the Acer so that her people could take their place as the rightful rulers of the Nine Worlds, was falling into place.
so let me get this straight, Loki began, sitting down at the mead bench with the Allfather, Odin, and Asgard. You guys hate the giants. Odin smiled and nodded, proud of his bitter hate for their longtime rivals. But you just said that you're half-giant yourself, and your son Thor is like three-quarters giant. Well, okay, yes, Odin explained. But before we continue, the creatures that you're referring to as giants, the Atnar, that name doesn't actually mean giant, you know, Odin explained. It doesn't? asked Loki. No, Odin replied. Yatnar, in the Old Norse, or I guess it would just be called Norse for us right now, Yatnar means devourer. They're the super scary other beyond our wise and powerful civilization of Asgard. Loki heard this and narrowed his eyes. And who gave them the name devourers? Loki asked. Oh, I did, Odin said. Look, Loki, you're new here, so I get that all this is, you know, a bit confusing, but they're the people outside our society pretty much as powerful as us, so we have to kill them all. Even though we're all basically the same, I killed their big giant ancestor and made them all go to their own world, so I get to make the rules. This whole other beyond the wall thing will really resonate with people in the early Middle Ages. We, the Acer, will be the big helpful gods, living in the shining tower somewhere over the rainbow, keeping the ugly, evil devourers beyond the enclosure away. Those peasants will eat it up and worship us, not knowing that, had I not deceived a giant grandpa some time ago, they'd be worshipping the Jotun, and we be the bad guys. Imagine that, Odin a bad guy. I'm so lovable. So, if I'm following, Loki said, it just seems like kind of an arbitrary division along racial lines that leads to pointless violence and death. Also, and I'm just going to say it, seems a little racist. Loki pointed out, Loki, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not racist. Like you said, I'm half giant. We're just exploiting contrived racial differences so that we can stay in power. Oh, that's better? Loki said, and then took a long, long swig of meat. Loki, I feel like you're losing sight of the bigger picture here. What really matters in all this is that you're one of us now. You're on the right side of the in-group, out-group line. No one's coming after you. The Acer aren't. Who can say when it comes to the giant... Sorry, I mean devourers. They're barbarians. We're just trying to keep the dangerous other at bay by actively charging into their lands and murdering them. You just live your life and you know, try not to rock the boat too much. The familiar sound of Thor's chariot slash all-you-can-eat goat buffet cut off Loki's reaction. Thor! Odin called out to his son, rolling up to the longhouse. Odin turned to Loki and explained, Thor's my son. He's the super strong god of lightning who lives in his house, named Lightning Crack, in a place called the Plains of Strength. Did he name those himself? Loki asked. Yes, he's very subtle, replied Odin. Wait, what's he got with... Ah, it's that witch again. Narrowing his eye, Odin stood abruptly and pushed past Loki as he stormed outside. Three of the more burly Acer were carrying gold greed on the edges of their spears, so as to not have to touch her. How many times am I going to have to kill you for you to stop? Odin said to the captive with a sneer. Just one more time, Goldgrade answered smugly, before laying back on the spear bed. Odin couldn't take it. Not only was this witch wandering around the Nine Worlds, causing all sorts of trouble for him, but she just wouldn't stay dead. Odin had already killed her for this. 
twice. And here she was flaunting his authority in front of his own people. And you know what they say about doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? That it's really smart, and you should definitely keep going. Also, burn the witch, burn her. Odin, for the third time, grabbed Golgree by the hair on the back of her head and pulled her from the spears. She didn't fight as he dragged her over to the massive fire that stood in front of his longhouse and threw her in. The Acer surrounded the fire. Spears pointed inward. Goldgreed's clothes were the first to go. Then her hair, and even the strongest stomachs of the Acer, had to look away from the woman's skin bubbling and burning away. Still, she didn't scream. Only smiled. It was done. With her death, the Acer would fall. While her lips still remained, she mouthed one final word to Odin, only seen by the Allfather. In that moment, his smile faded. In that moment, he knew that the war had started. We'll learn about who this woman is and why Odin is so worried about a thrice-burned witch, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. Odin slammed his fist down on the table, sending cups of mead tumbling onto the floor. She's Vanir, Odin said to the assembled Acer. Heimdall, Frigg, Sif, and even Thor gasped. Uh, first, hi everyone, friend of Odin's. Second, maybe an obvious question, who are the Vanir? Loki asked. Well, Odin said, the Vanir are the other other. In Norse mythology, we have the big three, the giants, the Acer, and the Vanir. And yes, the Vanir are almost exactly like us Acer, except they are evil, money-grubby magicians. But don't you guys practice magic too? Loki questioned, again, really not following. Yeah, but our magic is the good kind, Odin said. We only use it for hijinks and light genocide. The Vanir use it for an easy life and ugh, money. The woman they just burned, her name is Gulvig, literally meaning gold greed. See? Bad stuff. Also, they're kind of better at magic than us, Thor admitted. Thor! What? It's true, Thor said, looking at his feet. Odin took a deep breath. Well, it is true, he agreed. And this wasn't just some random magician. This was a lure into us committing an act of war. Then he gasped. Okay. Hey, everyone? Probably nothing? But I can't see the future anymore, Odin said. Every head turned to Odin. What could this mean? That's when they heard the screams. The Acer rushed to the door to see flames rising above Asgard. The Vanir were here, and the city was under attack. The first battle in the Acer-Vanir War had begun. Fighting magicians was getting really old. Over the past few years, Thor, Odin, Heimdall, Frigg, and the others raged war with the Vanir. And even though the Vanir weren't as physically strong as the Acer, they were magical, which, at times, more than even the odds. Once a week, it seemed, a Vanir would sneak into Asgard and replace an Acer, so there'd be this whole pickle where someone was aiming an arrow back and forth between the real Acer and the imposter, 
and they'd try to figure out which one was the real one. It was thrilling and novel the first couple times it happened, but now it was just getting old. Once, Thor and Odin were walking through a forest when Odin, on a take your son to work day, noticed that the trees didn't look right. As it turned out, they were the Vanir in disguise, and the rival gods stomped them Ent style. Sadly, there's not much in the Acer Vanir War. Unlike the giants, who are seen as the monstrous others, the Vanir are similar to the Acer in all but lifestyle and ability. Of course, we're getting the narrative from the people who worship the Acer gods. So the Acer are portrayed as possessing a raw, unrefined power and sticking to a code of honor, while the Vanir, though not as powerful as the Acer, are tricky magicians who hold their own through tricky magic. Like I said, we don't know much about the Acer Vanir War, except that it took a long time and was exhausting and bloody on both sides. Also, it only seemed to hurt the Acer and the Vanir. The giants were left untouched in this first ever war. And, with both of their adversaries fighting each other, the giant population grew unchecked. Now, the Aesir and the Vanir might have been locked in a bitter war for supremacy of the Nine Worlds, but they both could agree that they hated the giants. Eventually, they did come to a peace. As part of the peace treaty, everyone spit in a bucket and formed that god spit into a person known as Kvasir, the best poet who ever lived, because why not? They also ended up exchanging hostages to ensure a peace between the two groups of gods. They both agreed to send their best supporting characters to the enemy camps to ensure that no hostilities broke out again. The Aesir sent Mimir. He was the guy with the well who demanded a sacrifice of Odin's eye for the secret knowledge. Well, he went, and so did Hanir, an Aesir who helped create humans and who also had a small role in some of the other stories we've told. In exchange, the Aesir got Njord, remember he had really good-looking shins, his son Freyr, and someone the Acer knew very well. She was riding up on her chariot pulled by cats. So, we meet again, Gold Greed, Odin said. Will you stop calling me that already? My name is Freya. Also, I get that you are mad with me, but calling a woman a witch and immediately burning her because you don't understand what's going on is a very bad precedent to set for Western Europe. Freya, despite the Acer burning her three times, was very much alive and weary of the war, so she was ready to come to Asgard and contribute to the peace between the two groups. She seemed like kind of a weird one to send, given the Acer penchant for burning her alive, but hey, she was the best, and she jumped into her new life among the Acer. She vowed to not to use her magic to spark never-ending wars for supremacy, but also to use it to help the Acer out of self-inflicted jams, which would happen a lot, actually. She became known as an honorary Acer, and though the peace between the two groups was supposed to be mutual, it looked like the Acer changed it into a very different type of war. And, years later, we still know a lot about the Acer, but next to nothing about the Vanir. It was a much longer game, but it's one that the Acer won. Also, we should talk about it, Freya had a cat chariot, and it wasn't like awesome tigers or something, but two or more house cats. I can only imagine that that is the least productive mode of transportation ever devised. Also, I would worry about parking it. That it's just going to get startled and run off. Maybe that's what happened, because it doesn't really pop up in these stories much. Also, really quickly before moving on, Golveg, Freya's alter ego, was called Golgreet in today's story, because that's how one of my translations had it. But I've also read that it means gold intoxication, or gold intoxicating drink. We should think of it as kind of an intoxication or madness brought about by gold or desiring gold. Gold greed was a little shorter.
Odin saw the strange markings. Even before he ducked under the roots of the world tree, the vast ash tree called Yggdrasil, which held Asgard, Jotunheim, the world of the humans, everything, he watched as three strange women took up residence at the well of Erd, at the roots of the world tree. Though Odin could see all from his throne atop Asgard, the appearance of the three women confused even him. The three Norns, as they're called, were three elderly women who were sowers, amateur gardeners, and also decided the fates of all the creatures in the Nine Worlds. Odin had allowed them to move in at the base of the world tree, and the chief of the Aesir had heard rumors about them that they could read these strange markings, called runes, and by understanding them, they could control the fates of all the beings in the Nine Worlds, even the fates of the gods themselves. After the long and costly war with the Vanir, the flashes of Ragnarok, and the giants constantly encroaching on Asgard, Odin had to see what these women, these Norns, could tell him. He had to see if he, the Allfather, could learn to understand these runes. In the light of the large pool glowing in the darkness, Odin observed two of the women measure out a thread. The third Norn hobbled over to the trunk of the tree, found an opening in the bark, and began carving a strange symbol with a knife. As she carved, the mark began to glow. Light shot through the length of the roots of the world tree, illuminating the darkness all around. That's when Odin saw the walls around him, the roots of the world tree. They, they were covered in these strange markings, as far up as he could see. Oh, you guys are not getting your security deposit back, Odin whispered to himself. He turned to the Norns and spoke out, asking what these markings meant. They ignored him. This did not go over well. You didn't ignore Odin. He grabbed the nearest Norn and spun her around, dropping the whole, do you have any idea who I am on her? But the woman did know who he was. She just didn't care. After all, the Norns controlled the fate of all, and among their deciding threads was one for the Allfather as well. His thread was a long one, but one that would find its end in the grand tapestry that the Norns were weaving, just like everybody else's. Odin looked on the woman's deeply lined, deeply dispassionate face. Unlike almost everything else in the universe, she wasn't afraid of him. He knew that instant that even he, the Allfather, had no power over fate. His shoulders slumped, and he began the long climb away from that fairly ham-fisted metaphor and back to Asgard. But then, there in the shadows above, he noticed something. One of the strange shapes. A rune, glowing faintly in the darkness. Odin shot a glance behind him, at the Norns, who were too occupied with their own things to care what Odin was doing, so he looped some rope around his arm, put his spear on his back, and began the climb. He didn't know why, but he was irresistibly drawn to this glowing rune. Climbing closer, Odin looped part of his rope around a branch above the mark, so as to swing himself down, square in front of the rune. Tying the rope securely at the top, he began to loop it around himself when he slipped. Odin lost his footing and tumbled into the darkness, scraping his head along a sharp root of the world tree. Luckily, he didn't tumble to his death in the waters of the well below because the rope had looped around his foot at the very last moment. Blood trickled down his face, stinging his eye, and when he, dangling upside down in the shadows, was able to wipe it away, he looked frantically at the bark of the tree, searching for the glowing rune, but he saw nothing. He cursed himself and started to curl upward to climb the rope again, but a glimmer caught his attention below. With each droplet of his blood, 
the well of Erd emitted a small pulse of light. Suddenly, Odin understood. In the way that sacrificing an eye had led to knowledge of the future, something far greater would have to be given to understand these markings, these runes. Thoughts of Ragnarok had begun to consume his dreams and plaguing him during the day. In his dreams, he watched the worlds burn, the wolf that consumed the sun. He had told himself that there was no price too great to stop it all. Now, he had to reckon with those words. Odin gripped his spear. He didn't know what would happen as he plunged it deep into his stomach. He took three quick breaths and found his heart. Odin hung from the tree for nine days, wavering between the world of the living and the world of the dead, his own blood streaming down his face and into the pool below. At the end of the ninth day, Odin began to see shapes in the pool take form. The runes were revealing themselves to him. He saw the future and so much more. The Allfather spoke the runes aloud, and the wound in his stomach healed. He said another, and the rope above him unwound itself. He floated down until he was surrounded by the smiling Norns. He was now like them, knowing the power of the runes. He had sacrificed himself to himself in order to gain this knowledge, and with it, he would be unstoppable. He nodded and left for Asgard, changed. Loki sensed a difference in Odin the moment he returned. He wasn't like the old god. The fun and flawed parts had been burned away, had been killed. Now, he was stern and harsh and serious. He demonstrated his power for the other Acer. He could heal himself, bind his enemies and render weapons worthless, put out fires, expose, overpower, and banish practitioners of magic. He could protect his friends, curse his enemies, and even, maybe, wake the dead. A chill ran down Loki's spine as he saw his old friend changed. Now, nothing could stand before Odin and the Acer. And that was fine now, but the Nine Worlds didn't need a king. The Vanir had already been assimilated after the war, and soon Odin, in time, would have complete control over the giants. Then what? Loki shuddered. He wouldn't wait to find out. Loki liked the worlds the way they were. They needed balance, not some tyrant. Loki quietly slipped away from Odin's extended show-and-tell session to gather some mistletoe. We should watch out when ascribing motives to Loki, the prototypical trickster. I do believe that he is truly chaotic neutral, and his only loyalty is to himself. He's an abomination to everything the medieval Norse culture held dear. And though he does show flashes of heroism, and despite one glaring exception, does seem to clean up his messes. That exception, the death of Baldur, where remember, Baldur was killed by mistletoe after Loki tricked another god into shooting him. That death is not without some controversy. I've read there's another version of the death of Baldur, one that doesn't include Loki at all, but a struggle between two of Odin's sons. There's also an alternate version of the binding of Loki. In that one, the Acer attend a feast, that is, all but Loki. When Loki learns that they're all partying without him, he shows up anyway, demanding that Odin make good on his promise that Loki always be permitted to feast with him. Loki takes a seat, and even though it isn't Festivus, he commences with the airing of grievances, and no one is spared. Odin is called an incompetent ruler. Tyra cuckold. Frigg was reminded that her son was gone because Loki refused to wait for him, 
And when Eden, with the apples, jumped to their defense, he said that she slept with everyone in the room. Acer, giants, elves, even dwarves. Having shown up drunk already and completely fed up with the Acer and their crap, Loki goes around the table eviscerating everyone, using their deepest secrets, worst fears, or most hidden shames. Loki only stops when Thor, who had been taking some Thor time out east, messing up some giants, shows up fashionably late. And Loki excuses himself to the bathroom, where he dives out a window and runs away giggling. He hides in a waterfall as a salmon until the heat dies down. And that's where Snorri's story syncs up with the older version in the Poetic Edda. The Acer, tired of Loki and his crap, kill his son, Nerfi, in front of him, bind him with his kid's entrails, and puts a poisonous snake over his head to drip painful poison on him for all eternity. If this version is to be believed, then I can see how Loki siding with the giants and wanting to take revenge on the Acer at Ragnarok is more than justified after they murdered his son for making them feel sad at a party. And yes, Ragnarok is coming this fall. I'll finally be covering the doom of the gods and ending our time in Norse mythology once and for all. Next week, it's back to Greek mythology, where we'll talk about Perseus and Medusa, the story about which the Clash of the Titans is very loosely based. And... Sadly, there will be no Krakens or the releasing thereof. I want to say thanks to Brian Fantana73, Taiuchi, Matt4499, Bunny Conga, a lovely ladybird, Hugo Pug, Storian Myth Lover99, Jikta, Sour Lemon 101, Adrian1299, Dragonetta, Megan Hart, JMHC6, Yellow F, Mokamore, Just in Case, and Big Baby Dan. For the reviews on Apple Podcasts, thank you all so much. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place, and it really does help the show. And I just love hearing from you. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And as always, there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a t-shirt of a samurai shark riding a T-Rex, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show. Really though, there's like a cottage industry around stuff riding a T-Rex. And if samurai sharks aren't your thing, they're also sloths playing guitars. Pandacorn, which is, surprise surprise, a panda unicorn, Santa, and Abe Lincoln. I think once they hit Pandacorn, they kind of jump the samurai shark, but whatever. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the antlion. It comes from a Greek text of natural folklore compiled in the 2nd century AD by a Christian author. When I say the phrase lion among ants, you probably immediately think of the kind of metaphorical meaning of something like a confident person among less confident people or something. Not an actual lion living among actual ants, being intimate, physically and otherwise, with the ants. But that's not the antlion either. That would be ridiculous. The antlion is the child of a male lion and a female ant. It has the head of its dad, but it's mom's ant body, plus a little extra because of the dad lion. The antlion lives a tragic and short life, not only because, as a misunderstood and chimeric monster, it is both and neither an ant nor a lion and is thus shunned by both communities, but because it can't eat, the lion only finds meat appetizing. While the ant body can't process the meat, it apparently can only handle plants. The lion head, being a carnivore, refuses to eat any plants. You say potato, I say potato, so let's die of starvation because there's no happy median. And that's exactly what it does. You might be thinking, wow, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and yeah, you wouldn't be wrong. For a lot of the creatures of the week, I can kind of understand how they originated. But with the antlion, none of it makes sense at all. 
Luckily, we do know where the idea of the antlion got its start. The Bible. Apparently, in the book of Job, there's a probably mistranslated word that came out to be antlion in some medieval version of the Bible. The author of the original Greek text, it seemed, was left scratching his head. The Bible obviously mentioned an antlion that died out for lack of prey, so the antlion had to exist. Well, what's the most obvious way for an antlion to exist? If an ant and a lion get together. Done and done. And we're apparently still talking about that monk's very obvious phoning it in of a definition of a mythological creature today. 1,800 plus years later, we can laugh, but I can guarantee you that nothing you or I do will still be talked about in 1,800 years. So, yeah, you win, antlion slacker monk. You win. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us today. Loot Crate has an epic range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. It's the best surprise you know is coming. An August Loot Crate theme is Kingdom, with items from Legend of Zelda, Adventure Time, and The Lord of the Rings. One lucky subscriber will also win a Mega Crate of seriously epic proportions. Subscribe by the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific Time to receive this month's crate. Go to lootcrate.com slash legends and enter my code legends to save $3 on any new subscription today. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 